0: Local Spotlight. Good morning everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for tuning into our little show. I am pretty pumped because in about 20 minutes we are gonna to get to hear from one of my all-time favorite people to talk to, Governor David Patterson. Now, I was a big supporter of Governor Patterson when he was governor. I was a friend of his before he became governor, before he became lieutenant governor. And he's someone, unlike a lot of people, when they get to be a big shot, he was someone that retained and recognized our friendship, even after he was governor and while he was governor, just as when we were all drinking buddies in Albany together. I'm going to ask uh, Governor Patterson about a whole host of issues. One of the things that I'm going to ask him about is the campaign for New York State governor. And the latest on that is the New York State Board of Elections has tossed out... Thousands of signatures that the Republican candidate, Lee Zeldin, filed to get him included on a line that they were calling the Independence Party. Now, it's not really the Independence Party. I was in the Independence Party leadership for many years, but they were trying to take advantage of the name and the fact that the party had lost ballot access. So you need 45,000 valid signatures under this horrible rule that Andrew Cuomo gave us, which is completely unfair, unjustifiable, and the state legislature and the governor Ought to change pronto. But those are the rules. Apparently, the Board of Elections found, and this is a bipartisan board, Republican and Democrat, out of the 52,096 signatures offered by Zeldin's campaign, 12,868 of them were invalidated by officials. And the Libertarian Party, they're saying, that over 900 sheets, and apparently this has been validated by the bipartisan Board of Election officials doing the search, over 900 sheets containing over 11,000 signatures were merely photocopies of original sheets. So understand what the Zeldin folks did here and what the Zeldin campaign did. They submitted, as if they were original signatures, 11,000 photocopies. Now, this is just blatant fraud. And as Andrew Colste, the uh, secretary of the Libertarian Party, said, Republicans talk a lot about election integrity, but the Zeldin campaign attempted to fly under the radar and submit over 11,000 fraudulent signatures in an attempt to get a third line on the ballot in my view these guys are exactly right now the zeldin campaign is saying we didn't know about it we were collecting signatures from all over the state well excuse me your campaign is the one that submitted these signatures you have to believe that he's either smart and his campaign was trying to perpetuate a fraud that goes to the very heart of the election process or that he's dumb and his campaign can't even tell the difference between hundreds of pages of photocopied signatures and original. And honestly, I'm not sure which is worse. We'll talk more about the governor's race with Governor Patterson in just a few minutes. To be continued. The other side of midnight. Local spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I hate to mention this story because it's such a bummer, but it's a story that I've been thinking about literally all day. I love Coney Island. I love going there. I love everything about it. I love the people that live there. I love the shops. I love the ballpark. I love the rides. It's one of my favorite places to hang out, and there was a time when I uh, considered moving there for many years. I love strolling the boardwalk. It's just a wonderful community. And my wife and I were out there with our son, Carmine, on Sunday. Sunday for his first trip to Coney Island. Well, this story really makes me want to cry. A man was fatally struck by a Parks Department truck on Coney Island's beach early Monday morning, just hours after we were there in this very, very same spot. According to the NYPD, the city vehicle hit the victim who was lying on the beach as it was exiting by Stillwell Avenue and the Regalman Boardwalk before 3 a.m. I was in this very spot about 12 hours before, less than that, about 10 hours before. Authorities pronounced him dead at the scene. Officials haven't released the victim's identity. It's unclear why the man was on the beach, but the Parks Department does regular overnight cleanup on the beach to clear litter. I think the words of a spokesperson for the department said, this is a horrific tragedy and we're investigating the incident internally. I don't want to, this fella may have been homeless. That's what uh, people are are speculating about. Why else would he be sleeping on the beach at three o'clock in the morning? I don't want to um, speculate about something like this, especially something this tragic in the midst of an ongoing investigation. But none of this makes sense to me. If the Parks Department vehicle was on the beach, cleaning the beach or doing whatever it was doing, just patrolling the beach, why would they not have seen this guy? Did they not have headlights on? Also, if you're the fella sleeping on the beach, look, I've been in some very deep sleep, uh, very deep sleeps over the years, especially if you've had one too many, which is certainly very possible because there was a, a party at the boardwalk just a few hours before. But how do you not see the vehicle and get woken up by the sounds of the vehicle. So none of this makes sense to me. I'm not suggesting there's any sort of foul play, but I find this story so curious. I've never heard of anything like this on Coney Island. I'm sure it's happened on other beaches before, but I don't know of any specific instances where this did happen. So I'm sorry to hear about this, uh, but uh, I guess this is a cautionary tale for all of us who may fall asleep on the beach from time to time. Very, very sad, and uh, it's just something that really bothers me. I have so many great memories uh, along this three-mile-long boardwalk and at this beach, and to have a tragedy of this magnitude happen there, it just makes me sad. To be continued. The other side of midnight. Local spotlight. I tell you what I still find amazing. I I am amazed by this on literally a daily basis. I still can't believe... How many listeners take what Curtis was says seriously? And I can't stress this enough. I love Curtis. Curtis is one of my closest friends, but he does this shtick where he's created this fake feud between the two of us, which does not exist. And yet every day, literally every day, people are still asking me about it. And then even Dominic said, oh, Curtis said this and this about the ratings. Is that true? I said, no, I doubt Curtis has even seen the ratings yet. He's making it up. It's not true at all. And Dominic Carter said to me, yeah, well, I mean, that's how good Curtis is. He's such a good, he's such a good salesman that you don't know when he's telling the truth and when not. And I said, Dominic, you're right. Uh, Sometimes he'll be bashing me and saying stuff that I know is not true. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, boy, I am a real jerk if I did that. Now, of course, then I I smack myself back into reality and uh, recognize that this is all just shtick. But you want to know how far Curtis and I go back? I came across this parody from the Curtis and Kuby days from the year 2003 or 2004. This is how tight Curtis and I were even back then that they inserted a Frank Morano character into this parody. Listen to this. Curtis, you didn't tell me about this tape that we just uh, arrived this morning. I didn't know this about you. We're going to learn something new. Are oh. you ready, Ron? Oh, I'm so ready. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. So and now we bring you Curtis Slewa in a car on his way to work. Uh, very good. Making our way down the highway. Frank Murano is driving me because I do not have a driver's license. All is well in the land of Slewa Wood. Oh, dear Curtis, there appears to be a traffic jam on the freaky deaky road, otherwise known as the FDR. Very uh, good. Murano, uh, I have taught you well. Very good. Ten minutes later. Uh, getting a little agitated. Very good, Frank. Five minutes later. Uh, getting hungry. Very good. Wish there was a Wait a minute. Uh, What is that smell? Very good. It appears that someone is eating a McDonald's breakfast burrito with the creamy chili cut queso and the golden brown sausage. Very good. That's it, Frank. It's time to call out the troops. Angels fan out and execute order 66. Red satin daddy number one is in need of nourishment. Very good. Uh, Frank, you will be the most powerful intern of all. Very good. Rise. This has been Curtis Lewa in a car on his way to work. Curtis <laughs> and Well, at yeah. least I didn't get shot in that car. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> the next parody. That's a it's benefit a... to that. Come <laughs> out <right laughs> next. <laughs> a terrific parody there, done by the one and only Eric Hastings, who's a great guy and was a great producer. But uh, just keep in mind, anytime you hear Curtis saying anything negative about me, it's not true. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight local spotlight Oh no, we're not done yet. Still one more hour to go here on the other side of midnight. By the way, if you enjoy these local commentaries but you don't get to hear all of them, we do make all of them available as a podcast. All you have to do is subscribe to Frank Morano Interviews and More. That's a separate podcast from the other side of midnight. So just search Frank Morano Interviews and More on any podcast app, and uh, you'll get these commentaries on your phone or your iPod, anywhere you are, each and every morning. I don't have much of a sweet tooth. If I do, it's for things like peanut butter and things that have peanut butter in it, like Reese's Pieces, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. But I'll tell you what I've never been fond of, even as a child when you'd go trick-or-treating on Halloween, and that's Skittles. And not only do I find the taste of Skittles so artificial and weird, quite frankly... But I hate how chewy they are. They stick to your teeth. You gotta put way too much effort into chewing them to consume them. And now, a fascinating, fascinating new lawsuit that I am eager to see the result of. A California man is suing Mars, that's the company that makes the rainbow-hued Skittles, claiming that the use of titanium dioxide in the candy makes it, quote, unfit for human consumption. The use of the additive, which is employed as a coloring agent, in foods is not illegal in the United States. By the way, can we talk about that? I mean... Does anybody else have a problem with the fact that they're legally able to put titanium dioxide into food that children are eating? So the FDA permits its use in most foods, although it restricts it to 1% of a food's weight. Mars contends it's done nothing wrong. While we do not comment on pending litigation, our use of titanium dioxide complies with FDA regulations. So there's this class action lawsuit that was filed Thursday in California on behalf of San Leandro resident Janil Thames and others who purchased the candy. And they're saying that the company's failure to warn consumers about the potential dangers of titanium dioxide amounts to a fraud of omission, as well as other violations of California law. Look, anybody can claim anything they want in a lawsuit. It seems like this is pretty well researched, and the folks behind it, the plaintiffs, are pretty well organized. I am eager to see where this goes. If this gets to a situation where we have fewer harmful substances in candy that children are eating, I say bravo, bravo. Look, I don't think anybody expects that when you eat candy, you're eating a health food, but it also shouldn't be something that has a level of toxicity that's unfit for human consumption. At least that's my take. To be continued.